0: Hi, I'm Talia, and I am the host of Compassionate Conversations podcast, Series 2. In Series 2, we will hear from inspiring people who work for and with young people. Each episode is designed to share ways of empowering the next generation to ensure they have the tools to go on to have mentally healthy futures. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. I have Fatiha Ahmed joining me today. Fatiha is the BAME project leader Ethnic Minorities and Youth Support Team Wales. She has a really inspiring story to share. She uses her lived experience and over 20 years of working in the third sector to relate and help other families from ethnic minority groups. Fatihah is just amazing at breaking down barriers that prevent young people getting involved in youth events and also from getting the help that they need. So this is going to be a really helpful conversation, I can already tell. Hope you enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem. You're welcome. Oh, so before we get into talking about some of the amazing things that you do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Okay, my name is Katiha. I am from Cardiff. I've been working in the third sector for over 25 years now. But currently I'm working with East Wales. It's been over two years. And I'm managing a project called BME-CYP Children and Young People Project. We support children from aged 0 to 25 and their families with any additional needs. I also manage all the family projects within East Wales as well. The project I'm working on is across the three areas, which is Wrexham, Newport and Cardiff. And I also deliver training for East Wales as well. So that could be bespoke training or cultural competency training to racism, race and religion, this kind of thing, you know, we do to help practitioners. How can they be more inclusive to support BAME communities within their own local areas? Yeah, that's about me. Also, I came as a child. I was 12 at the time and I know what it's like to come to a country. You don't know the language don't know the system or the culture, it's quite difficult to integrate without language skills and depends who you come across and what support you get. That makes a massive difference in your future. So maybe during my interview, I'll tell you people who have helped me, supported me and encouraged me because of that who I am today now. So, yeah, for young people, this is so important advocacy work and, you know, be their voice. That's why I've chosen to be in the third sector so I can advocate for on behalf of young people.
0: Yeah, and that's amazing. And I think you are the perfect person really to do that because you have been through that experience. So, yeah, you must firsthand know what it's like to move to a completely new country and, yeah, and how was your English when you first moved?
1: Well, not a single word, maybe basic single word, but not a sentence at all. Believe me, I used to go to shops. I couldn't say full sentence, this is what I wanted. So I would normally point out, this is what I want. And when I first came to UK, my brothers would give me £20 note. I didn't know like what change to receive from the shops So, like, I would just take the receipt and the change and show it to my (laughs) mother. This is what, if it's the right, you know, change. So that's how naive or at the time I didn't understand because of the cultural barrier.
0: Yeah. And what kind of things helped you to readjust to this
1: totally new environment? People being being kind, basically. We used to live in the valleys area. My next-door neighbour was such kind people they would each time I would open my door they would smile and then I had my other next-door neighbor I love babies so at the back garden we would even though didn't know any English but we would like use body language to communicate and she was so friendly she would allow me to hold her baby and I would hold her baby for hours and we would just talk try and communicate and just People being kind to me, you know, even though I didn't have the language, their body language is so important as well. Because body lang- language is important because I knew they were okay with, even though I didn't speak the language, even though my skin color is different. I used to go to the shops and they were so friendly, even though I didn't understand what they're saying. They're trying to, like the single word I said, the product name, they would try and find me, you know, where it is. So that made imagine like they didn't make eye contact, they didn't speak to me. I would never go back to those shops.
0: No, yeah,
1: yeah
0: that's, that's, that's Yeah, it shows the power of body language and how you can get across a message that they're saying, I don't know, just like you're welcome and what can I do to help and things like that without actually the using smiles.
1: Them. I remember even a few people still, you know, I remember 30 years on when. People used to smile and that made me feel comfortable, you know. It's like, it's okay, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll go back, you know, and they're okay. Yeah, and then people are inviting me to the house. That made a massive difference. like, okay, they accept me for who I am, you know. Uh, um, I actually have like goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the trust my brothers had within the area they lived in. So in Blackwood area we still live and there's not much facility at the time, shopping and things. So what he would do, he would give me cash and send me with his friends or their customer. They At the time, they had restaurant in the area, so they were quite well-known, and they trusted those individuals, and they sent their 12-year-old sister with those strangers. Do you know me, If I think about it, I've got 11-year-old. Would I send, if I go to a new country, would I send my 11-year-old to another city from Black, to Cardiff for shopping and obviously they had very good relationships they knew they were good people they would look after me you know so I used to come shopping with my brother's friends wow Mm. did you join a new school yeah so what happened in Blackwood area there was no language support unit so my brother had to find a school where I can have a provision to learn the language so there was a school in Cardiff Called Fizal and High, they had a language unit where used to be called NC newcomers classes. So I've joined that, and within like six weeks, I picked up the language. and They moved me to at the time, it used to be called year two, so now it's year eight. Yeah, yeah, form two. Yeah, so yeah, within a six week, I picked up the language and then I've started, you know, working towards GCSE. I had about five GCSE and then I did NVQ level two. In business. Oh, that's so incredible. Yeah, but that I was only able to do because the friends I had, the community, the neighbours I had. So when I moved to Cardiff, my brothers still had their business, they couldn't leave. So I've stayed with one of his friend. So friend, family. So I stayed there and they were very supportive, loving and, you know, taking care of me. And then finally, eventually my brothers thought it's too much for a 12-year-old every Friday, go back home and then come back Sunday evening. So they decided to buy a house in Cardiff. So they bought a house. So we all moved. I moved into UK in 1988. Then by 19, end of 1989, my brothers had a house in Cardiff. So we moved to that Cardiff house. That's where I had friends who helped me with my assignment, my homework, everything. They took me to town. They took me to local hairdressers. So, yeah, everybody was so supportive, you know, trying to help me to, you know, integrate in UK culture. So that was, and those friends, I'm still friends with them. So I would never forget them, what they did for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's so special
1: and important for that time, especially, especially. Yeah, you know in Cardiff there was some local provision called Bernados. Yeah, they still exist. But in Bana- within Bernados, they have some multicultural project, and there was three social workers. I still remember the name, and they're very close to my heart: Tahmina Khan, Sakia Ahmed, and Maria Mesa. Yeah, and Kamla, I forgot her surname. So basically, there was a few ladies there. Even though I didn't have the language skill or anything, what they did, they utilized whatever skills I had to boost my confidence. So I loved, at the time, I used to love dancing, yeah, and singing. So every time they would do cultural event, they would encourage me, come and take part, you know. (laughs) So I did. So I have so many like pictures, so many memories of me dancing and even planned stage activity we did. So that was really good, even though I didn't have any other skills because of my language. But the fact those social workers, they understood, okay, this is what Fatia is good at. So we're going to expand on that and we're going to help gain confidence through her dancing skills. So imagine, you know, dancing in front of a room full of people. That gave me a massive, you know, confident boost. And then also by like in that process, like practicing for that dance, I made friends yeah so yeah so that's why it's so important to have that doesn't matter if people haven't got all the skills but whatever little skills they may have just help them to you know grow on that
0: yeah I'm really glad you said that because every time I do a podcast it feels like we're all really echoing the same thing but saying it in a slightly different way and that is something that keeps shining through is that Just encouraging young people to find the things that makes them feel most alive and find the things that gives them the most confidence and just to nurture that and just keep encouraging kids to do that. And it sounds like for you, that was dance.
1: Yeah, My Uh, message would be to all the advocacy organisation, even though you might think, okay, it might be a struggle. It might be a struggle for this young person. But don't say that out loud just encourage them, you know, give them the confidence, say, yes, you can do it. Cause it's all about mentally getting prepared. You know, if you help somebody mentally say, yes, I can do it. Actually they can, they can get the support, but if you make them feel, no, they're not able to do it because of this, this barrier, that's it. You stop them from even trying, you know, don't, ever do that deep down we have so many young people you know coming through and we know it's going to be a challenge for them but we never say it out loud you can't do it you never say that you always say yes try you know because what happens sometimes I get young people saying or in school they said oh you'd be never able to achieve that you know that's so sad teachers should be there to support young people not putting them off So you're putting the barrier already, you know, saying to this young mind, you can't do it because it's the right mindset we have to have in order to grow and achieve and have the positive outlook to life. So always encourage young person, you know, even though the outcomes might not be great, but the effort will take a long way, you know, that would help them in the future as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks
0: for that. That's really, yeah, really good advice. It's been really amazing hearing your a bit of your backstory into it because, yeah, it kind of just makes sense of the next conversations where we'll talk more about your work and the things that you do. It just gives amazing context for that. And it shows why you're so passionate about what you do as well.
1: Mm. I just want to touch a little bit about my background. My mum had mental health problem. Growing up as a baby, I didn't get the love any other child would get. So I was breastfed by next door neighbor. I was looked after by my older sister. Uh, my mom was always ill. So imagine a child who didn't have that love from her mom. So coming to a new country, all those friends, mom, and the neighbors are giving that love made a big difference. So already that child mentally traumatized. You know she's been separated from her mom. At the same time, you know, the pain always there. You cannot disclose anything because your mom's mentally not stable because you don't want to make things worse for her. For example, if I had a girl's issue, I would never go back to my mom. It'd be either my nan or my older sister. Normally, a child would go to their mom. Yeah, That's their first point of contact. So because I had that, and coming to UK and all those next-door neighbors and their middle-aged, you know, motherly figure or my friend's mum, they're giving me the love, help me to actually focus and be a positive person I am now. Imagine if they didn't like me, if they didn't open the door to me or give me the smile or being kind. I remember some days I would come from school and pop into my friends and they're like, no, 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 eat in our house. Because, you know, I'm sure if your mom was there, she would have given you a nice meal. So they were always thinking about me, my mom's not there. So that made a massive difference to my life as a young child, thinking positive. And that's why I am here in that sector. So I can give back to the community because I had so much love and respect. And that's why I am here, what I do now.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thanks for sharing that. So what are the main ways that you support young people and their families? And can you tell us a bit about some of your projects?
1: Okay, do you want me to tell you a little bit about East Wales? Do you know much about East Wales? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so East Wales is a unique award-winning organisation set up in 2005. Since then, it has expanded its remit to support BME young people to supporting BME young people, their families, individuals of all ages across Wales. Our vision is a Wales where BME people can contribute participate and feel they're valid member of society. And our mission is to provide a quality service which empowers BME young people, their families and individuals to work effectively with mainstream partners, to influence policies and practices, positively promote diversity and improve public attitude towards ethnic diversity in Wales. So that's us in a nutshell. So number of projects we have across Wales, that's in Wrexham, Swansea, Camarthenshire, Powers, Newport, Cardiff. So we go Asylum Seekers Project. We've got Resettlement Project. We've got BME CYP Project, which I've delivered. We've got a Crisis Project. We've got Newport Youth Future Project. we go got All Wales BAME Engagement Program. we go got Race Alliance Wales. We've got Sport Project, BME CYP Sport Project. we go got Multilingual Helpline Wales. That's actually, it's a brand new project during pandemic. You know, we've started where we knew there's loads of people needed advice. So it's a multilingual, so they can call and between our advice, work, they speak eight different languages and we got flyers over 14 different languages. So, you know, so that helpline is not just for communities, even professionals, social workers, you know, and practitioners, they call just to find out information was available locally. We go BME Invest project, that came to an end. But with this project, what we used to do is to provide placement, three months paid placement to young people to help them understand what it's like to work in real life and get some experience and for them to focus. What is it that they want to do in life, especially those who went in training or education? Or those who were unemployed for more than 12 months. Then we've got our training, different packages, and our training we did with South Wales Police, local third sector schools, you know, across all areas we did the training. And we got lastly our homework club and drop-in session. That's in all four areas. We got drop-in session where youth comes to the drop-in and they do different types of games and we go youth workers to help them, mentor them, support them with their mental health, anxiety, and there's just safe space for them to spend some time. So that's from 11 to 25 we have drop-in across all areas. And Homer Club, where some of our young people are struggling with their education, we locally get volunteers and those volunteers would be the tutor and we'll have a coordinator just... For safeguarding reasons, well beyond the session, just to see if everything's running smoothly. That's what we do. And we've got another one: well Wellbeing and Advocacy Project for 50 Plus, that's based in Newport. So all these different projects we do. And obviously, then, then the core services. And all the project I mentioned, every yeah, project is a um, really children orientated children and families project. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. You guys do a lot. Try our best, but still, it feels like it's not enough. For example, like with the BME CYP project, it started like beginning of pandemic, so you can imagine people were like worried. You know, they were panicking. Loss of families, parents lost job, so obviously affected. Had the impact on the young people, you know, who are registered with us. So th- that project came in a, such a good timing. So we were helping many families with school uniform food parcel, providing a device because many children didn't have device because everything had to go online. And then even though the local authority did provide funds, but by the time they rolled out the money and the devices, it took longer or many families didn't have the communication skills to say that to school, look, my daughter or my son doesn't have a laptop. Can you provide us one? Yeah. So we provided over 300 laptops across uh, Wales to young people, not just laptop, also iPad as well to the yeah. younger one. Yeah, yeah, that's and, so yeah great, not great. just that, that's where we didn't stop. You know, where asylum seekers and refugees came to the UK, they didn't have access to internet. So we worked with local charities to provide yeah, dongles and, you know, even uh, some of our support worker helped them to set up those devices as well.
0: yeah. Wow, that's so good. You mentioned before as well about one of the things you do is like provide a safe place for young people to come and families to come and just be and come just as they are. And I was just wondering how you create that safe place. And is there anything that you've done or experimented that makes
1: young people feel more welcome and more at ease? Yeah. Yeah. Each time we provide a service, we try and consult with our young people. So we do a survey. So the survey would say, okay, I want girls only, I want boy only, and I want that kind of setting, this kind of setting. So whatever finding from our consultation we have, then we sit down as a team and then we plan our sessions. So we have boys only, girls only sessions. And also we recruit very carefully, recruit female and male. And also our youth worker, they have training, they have safeguarding training, mental health training. How do you, if somebody discloses anything traumatizing, how do you deal with that? You know, how can you help that young person, you know, now that they trusted you and then open up? something really important to their life, sensitive issue. What do you do with the information? So all our youth workers give you a check and they know the safeguarding law. And then if there's something they disclose had to be shared with another professional, our youth workers, they know not to promise or I'm not going to tell anybody. So if it's like safeguarding and safety concern, they have to tell the line manager. So we had so many issues where sexual abuse, you know, neglect, domestic violence issue where young people are telling us, you know, they've witnessed domestic violence within the home. So where we had to get Bowser involved, they specialize to support, you know, women and men from the same background. Mm-hmm. Also, there's been cases where we had to get police involved, inform the police because of some safeguarding concern. Also, we had to refer a lot of young people to mental health services because of Certain things they disclose, and we knew they need proper counselling. Even though we don't provide counselling service for all our youth workers, they provide well-being support. So they would talk to those young people, you know, call them regularly, check up on them, make sure they're okay. And you know, have that support system there, even though we refer them to those specialist counseling services, whether it's primary mental health. But to be honest, not many young people would like to take that route. They prefer those specialized services like cause mind cumri, niput cumri, and local community groups. So they prefer that type of service to help them with their mental health. We also like have enough staff in the session so that they can have one-to-one with the youth workers just to air out if there are any concern because in a big group and if you just have one youth worker they won't be able to disclose anything or feel comfortable to talk about their feelings so we have about three staff each one at a time yeah
0: yeah yeah that's good to know yeah that sounds really good and, and what are some of the, what would you say at the moment are the biggest challenges that young
1: people are experiencing? At the moment, you know, since COVID, even though there's so many different challenges, and you know, I can give you a list of things. But at the moment, it's mental health, emotional and mental health. But the barriers, like it was always there, the language barrier, health issue substance misuse, cultural identity, you know, youth service or provision, not enough, you know, integration in society, and then people who are coming from social economic background, those are the issue, and then not knowing their rights, entitlement, education issue, you know, if they go language barrier or not understanding how the system works, you know, even terms of like When it comes to actual choosing the option, they're not quite sure because their parents won't be able to support them. They would come to those youth workers and help them or even applying for student finance or EMA, you know, if they are eligible for it. So their parents are not able to do it. So they'll come to those support workers for help. But lately I've realized it's mental health because they stayed in the house for so long. It impacted on the education impacting on the social skills and now they're finding it hard to communicate again and then other thing is like hate crime and discrimination even though you know they haven't been exposed to so many in person session but there was so much online bullying and hate crime was going on many people had problem with like digital exclusion as I said you know but that's overcome but there's still minority percentage where they don't have laptop or a device basically we help asylum seekers and refugee obtain a phone because parents were concerned look my child doesn't have a phone and I don't know whether he's safe or not or whatever he's coming home late so our charity would have spare phone and we would loan them rather than give it to them. So, and where possible, we would work with local other charities where support asylum seekers and refugees and how, apply for those funds to get a phone. I don't know if you heard of DPIA, they have provided lots of phone and iPad to some of our clients. Cultural expectation, you know, gender norm, you know, certain culture would treat girls differently. So, these are the things, cultural issues they face when they come to UK. We were giving all the electronics out, but that's our responsibility didn't stop there. They didn't know how to set up those devices. Also, they didn't have access to internet. As you can imagine, some families just arrived to UK and especially for asylum seekers, as you know, they only receive asylum seekers allowance. That's very limited. So they wouldn't have any extra means to buy internet or have broadband so they would rely on charities to support them. And not all home office accommodation do have access to broadband. So what we did, we worked with local charities. Digital community wells, they were really good. They pr- provided was something called MyFi. Yeah. So they would give us a password and some login detail. Mm-hmm. And that was quite useful to some people who were within that zone. So they had free, I think, BT connection to BT. And then we had other charities where they would give out funds to buy iPad, even phone, or even vouchers. And some company, uh, one of them I remember, DPIA. What does DPIA stand for? Displaced People in Action. So they were giving out phone vouchers. So we would do a simple application. We would say what the company, the phone provider is, and they would give vouchers out to those families who needed it. And our support workers would help them set up those devices as well. Yeah. Mm.
0: Wow, that's so good. And what do some of the families say as a result of getting
1: these? Basically, with our project, we have to do an evaluation and review, and we have to provide our report end of the every six months and each year we do celebration annual conference and that's when we get families to do a small survey saying how this project impacted you you know what benefited you so they would give a review for our project and they some would do the ones who are confident they would do a video small video some who uh, don't want to come on the camera they would do a voice message note and some would do typing as well so we go all different type of feedback Oh, so okay. and wonderful. They're like things like they would say, oh, your team were God sent, you know, so and so. They would name certain work and they would say he's like angel to me. He's like a brother to me. You know, she's like a sister to me. They're trying to say, look, we came to this country. We don't know anyone. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't feel comfortable. We wouldn't have all the support. So we do lots of time advocacy. We do a form filling we tell them what's available locally as well. You know, some families don't even have clothing. So we would say here's you know address and you can go to that place and you can actually pick up clothes. Or there's been time where because of our connection within the community, It's like an emergency. I reached out to us during weekend and they haven't got any food and food banks are closed. What we would do, we would send a message out to the community and say, look, I've got a situation. I got a single mom with two child. You know, I would give the age without obviously disclosing their ID. Is there anyone out there can help? So I'll put a status up and then, you know. That's it within a minute, you know, I'm getting, okay, can I help? Give me your bank detail, you know. Yeah. Can I drop some food? Can I do the shopping? So yeah. depending on the situation of the family, say if they're fleeing domestic violence, I wouldn't give the address to community members. We would take the staff and then deliver those staff to. And if they're okay with it, then we would give the address. Yeah. So yeah, community, local community actually, a massive support system for us as well, as well as the charities.
0: Yeah. Amazing and for some of the refugees who have recently come to the country how would you recommend that us charities in the third sector would I don't know just be able to reach out to those families and be as inclusive and welcoming as possible in light
1: of there's probably like language
0: barriers and if
1: possible I would say have the flyers, even though they might have language, but I have the flyers and image is very important. You know, what image you use. So have a image where it would reflect the community we're serving. That's very important. And having translated flyers, that helps as well. Because if they pick up a flyer and has a few different languages, even though their language is not there, automatically then think, you know, this service is for diverse community. Then find out what the needs of the young people, the religious and the cultural practices first, and then provide the inclusive service. There's no point providing the same service to everybody. You know, even if they come from the same culture, their needs might be different. Yeah. Some might be religiously practicing, some probably don't practice. They probably even don't even have a religion. So just be mindful where we have to just serve their needs Not just think, okay, this is a particular community, all the same. It's never like that. Even within the same household, we've had young people, their siblings' needs are different, you know, even though they come from the same household. So we have to be mindful of that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And talking about religious beliefs, how does assumptions about religious beliefs affect a young person's
1: confidence and mental health? That's a good question, actually. Assumptions actually kills people, stereotyping assumptions, because often people are identified as a wrong religious person. I'll give you an example. A Sikh man could be taken as a Muslim man, you know, just because he's got long beard, just because he was a turban. Not everybody understand the difference. Or the South Asian women, dress sense is very similar they put like a piece of clothing. It's called a and the, the outfit they wear is called Salakam It's very similar. So they could be Muslim, they could be Hindu, they could be Sikh. So rather than just assume they're from that religious background, it's better to find out what do they practice actually. Is you know, and also not assume whatever you see within the media. Especially, you know, media don't portray a very good image of certain religion, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's best to find out from the individual what's their practice, you know, what they religious really say regarding certain things, you know, rather than believe what you see in the media as well. And then also thinking of a religious thing, you know, how some people think certain religious are quite extremist. Yeah. Is certain individualist extremist views they have not, you know, across the board, you know so also be mindful not to judge them just because you saw something on newspaper or something on the media as well and also i was doing a, recently i was doing a training and we were talking about young people who are uh, looked after and we were saying how just because they got brown skin color doesn't mean they're all muslim and doesn't mean you know they're from the same religious background they could be practicing christian Hindus, Sikh, Buddhists, you know, any religion. We don't know. Just find out. And if they want to practice, then provide an inclusive service. We were delivering a training to foster carers and then provide them it then, you know. And if they're young, it's their right, isn't it, as a child? Because we were talking about a certain article where it says every child has right to, you know, practice their religion and their culture or speak their own language, mm-hmm. you know. If it doesn't harm anyone, just giving the message again, yes, provide them the facility, provide them the opportunity for them to practice their own religion. So same goes with the practitioners. If they are from a certain religion background and if you go a chance, opportunity, provide them that inclusive service, you know, so they might not be comfortable in a mixed setting. Give them that one-to-one if you can, or give them ladies only a men-only session if it's possible. I know often it's not possible due to resource you know, or capacity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know some culture, they prefer like the same gender. A female young person would feel comfortable with a female support worker so she can talk about her personal stuff, you know, and men feel the same. So we always say try and match the gender as well where possible. If not, there's nothing you can do. But also those individuals, you know, if they're not from the similar background, they can go and have a training session like, you know for two hours just find out about the certain religion and culture and then then come back and do your initial assessment and support the young person even that would make a massive difference like you knowing whether to make eye contact whether to shake hand you know or whether to address them with mister or their first name you know that makes a massive difference
0: yeah yeah that's so good yeah thanks for that and we talked a little bit about how a lot of the families that you've been engaging with at the moment are struggling with mental health. From like your perspective, what's your mental health manifesto? What kind of things do you feel these young people need to go on to have mentally healthy futures?
1: Mm. Most young people actually come to us and they say, we want to be included in every consultation And we want to have opportunity where we feel safe and we feel comfortable and welcome. And that's where they feel that's where their mental health really stays healthy. Because if you have a service and they're not included and intentionally you keep a service for young people. And what example can I give you? Say like during Diwali, okay, there was a massive family funder, yeah? And then you kept this during Diwali or Holy Festival or during Eid. That means you're automatically, you know, excluding those community. So when you're providing a service, think about all the things, you know. Consider, is there a religious day? You know, is there a cultural day? Are we going to, is it going to impact certain community? Timing is important as well. Time of the day as well. You can't say, keep event, you know either school drop or school pickup time. So you have to think about what time, if you want those young people, you have to do it after school. Yeah. What else you can do? Just a lot of our young people said peer-support-led activity, they prefer rather than going through primary mental health system. They feel primary mental health system doesn't understand their culture or their religious need. Peer-led activity actually helps them to identify who they are they know where they belong and they can comfortably talk about issue who are from the similar background always i've witnessed during our summer out of fun activities or winter well being activities where we took young person on a trip let me give you an example we went to safari park and i sat by a young person and the amount of information she disclosed with me i wouldn't have had that unless I had that trip with her and then having that information obviously without disclosing okay she's going through a lot you know within her family home so I got a group of young people together and started doing some game and saying would you like to meet up again you know and they were like similar age and then everybody kind of interacted with each other and they're like, okay, let's meet up, you know, let's plan, you know, one was from Swansea, one was from Cardiff and then they were like, okay, great. Next time you do anything in Cardiff, please invite me in. So that kind of, without saying, okay, we are supporting them, but we kind of help them connect with other people. And then within the same age category, they can disclose things and they can get the peer support they need. So that's important.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, thanks for that. And you mentioned earlier about you painted an amazing picture of what it was like for you growing up, suddenly getting used to like a new place and everything. And I'm just kind of wondering, because there's statistics that show a lot of young people actually don't lean into the services that are available to them. And we're just kind of exploring why and how we can make a bigger impact on young people and from your perspective and when you were growing up did you lean into any services that were really helpful to you it did make a massive difference to you because like you've gone on and like you do absolutely incredible things
1: and Um, I've did my biggest support was social activities bananas I mentioned every time they had a cultural event that was the biggest confidence boosting for me each time they would invite me And I was able to help out. So, you know, volunteering and helping a service is a massive thing for young people. They feel they've achieved something, they've done something, you know, and they're able because then mentally automatically for, oh, I can do this, you know? So it's like helping out. So wherever possible, include those young people. Tell them to come and help you volunteer. Give them responsibility. They like having responsibility. So wherever possible, when I do trips, I get those young people to give out, say, if we're giving out vouchers or taking orders. So Mm -hmm. we like to get those young people so they feel they're responsible. Give them some responsibility, you know. That's important because that's what helped me going to those social activity. People are asking me to help out and also meeting people because they need to have the network. So only way they can have the network for them to get invited to those different activities or events, and that's how they would have a bigger network. So in the future, they've had already met a few practitioners, met a few friends and you know, and when they need that contact, they can use it to benefit them in the future.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Language is an issue. Everybody across the board knows that, yeah, but it can be easily overcome. Because often practitioners are afraid, you know, or oh, there's a language barrier, how can I support this family or the young person? No, use local provision was available. There's loads of good charities who have support workers, advocacy workers, community groups. Get hold on to them and find out what language they speak and tell them, here's a situation. Are you able to help us? I know they might not be interpreting service, but those advocacy services, those community groups are there to support the communities so utilize what's locally available. Don't just say, okay, I can't really help that family because they got language issue. Yeah.
0: You
1: know, and I don't agree with that. There's Google Translation now. Yeah. I don't speak all the languages. I only speak four. So if I get Arabic client texting me, I use Google Translation just to see just of what she's trying to say. Once I understand what her needs is, then I would get proper interpreter and you know do initial assessment. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, there's a language barrier. We can't help people. this interpreting service available across throughout the world, you know. And yeah, so language is not a barrier, but we have to use the right service. We cannot use family members for interpreting or relative because what if there was a safeguarding concern, right? Do you think a person would say in front of a family member or friend, this is what i you know, going through? So they won't never disclose those. It's always best to get professional interpreters. And when they're getting a professional interpreter, you have to again make sure you get the right dialect as well. Because often certain country has so many different dialects, you know, and if you get the wrong dialect, that's it, you know, you lost it. Because yeah. the service user is not understanding the interpreter or the interpreter doesn't probably have the right terminology to do the interpreting, then you miss some of the vital information in the process.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really good advice. Okay, so moving on to last question. If you could go on and say anything to your younger
1: self, what would you say? I would say believe in yourself. And have that, you know, positive mindset, you can do it. If you believe in yourself, it's possible to achieve things. If you already put a barrier, no, I can't do it, then it's hard. It gets harder and harder. Believe, whatever is destined for you, it'll happen. No matter, you know, what you do. But you have to have the belief, you have to have the confidence as a young person in yourself, you can do it. So believe and having that confidence, yes. And then don't be ashamed to ask for help even though you don't have the language, even though, you know, you don't understand the system, go and find out, speak to an adult, you know, find out, you know, you know what, I don't really understand. It's nothing wrong with axing, you know, that's the only way to find out. Because that's one thing I remember There's certain word I remember even now, I couldn't pronounce and then I would go to somebody and they would help me break it out and pronounce that big you know word so there's nothing wrong with that you know people actually like it when you're trying to learn something new yeah. so always have that you know attitude yeah I'm gonna give it a try
0: yeah oh that's such a nice way to <laughs> end this podcast you're so positive and I can see how that has helped you get to where you are because yeah it's, it's up
1: beautiful. to us isn't <laughs> it how we want to take it, it. It's up to us, you know, even though you had such a, so much in life, you went through so much trauma, but what do you want to do with that trauma? Do you want to become a positive, strong individual where you can help? people like you who went to similar experience and you want to be there to support them. So it's no point regretting this is what happened, you know, things, you know, it's unfair. It's no point talking about the negative stuff, unfair things, you know, it was destined, you know, nobody has control over what's written for you. Mm -hmm. So it's you who can make that change. So if you want a better life, if you want to achieve something, you have to make that happen. You have to do the hard work. If you don't help yourself, nobody will help you. When people see you have this positive, you know, outlook, you want to help yourself, everybody will come and help you.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Oh, thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. I hope by recording this podcast, you would help any young people out there to thrive and, you know, have a positive outlook for the future as well. Because I know it's, you know, daunting coming to a new country and not knowing the system, not knowing anyone. I know some young people are without their parents. They came to UK and you know they are looking for a loving, safe environment to live in. But believe me, there's loads of loads of services out there to support young people. You just gotta find the right people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's a nice way to end it. So thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Talia. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it was nice. To go back to my childhood and think about all the beautiful things had happened to me.
0: Yeah, it was. That I was a really nice enjoyed, journey. Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing your story and seeing the ways that you then help other people who are in similar situations to how you were as a kid. And yeah, that's been really beautiful
1: to hear the progression of that. Mm. And one last thing I want to say, if it's not too late. I remember when I used to go to Banados and I used to see those ladies, Zakia, Ahminan, how they're helping people, even though people don't have the language skills. But in my heart, it was, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be like those ladies, you know, I want to help people as well. So when they see somebody really positive, you're conducting well, you know, your mannerism is right, your approach is right,
0: mm-hmm. then
1: you are helping actually those individuals without saying anything yeah so, yeah painting a positive image for them exactly. every adult have a responsibility every one of us have some kind of impact to those young people' life it's us you know we've got to be careful
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's amazing. Thanks so much for listening to Compassionate Conversations, Series 2. You can find us on Single Parents Wellbeing. Don't forget to subscribe and tune into our next episodes. See you soon.